Well, go ahead and find a seat. That's excellent. If you've tuned in online, I know you would want to be here. We love you. We're thinking of you and praying for you. God bless you. Wherever you are in the world or across Australia, we're glad you've tuned into Destiny this morning. And pray God will speak to you, encourage you, and bless you personally wherever you are. We started a series a few weeks ago uh, titled Becoming an Irresistible Church. Um, and I actually believe that that's possible. I believe that the church can come to a point where it is so attractive and it is so such a desirable place to be that buildings would struggle to contain those that need to get there and to be there. But before I talk about that, I thought it would be appropriate if we actually talked about some of the things that we get wrong. Would that be okay? Would it, would it be all right if we just got a little open, a little honest here today and actually talk about some of the things that we sometimes do as people call Christians that are unhealthy. In fact, they are dysfunctional. So the title of this message is Traits of a Dysfunctional Church. Now, of course, um, it's not just churches that are dysfunctional. The sad reality is that a lot of families don't say anything and don't smile too broadly, but a lot of a lot of us didn't grow up in particularly healthy or functional families. And so we didn't have great role models to follow. Now, no one from the Gunton family, but everyone else, can I get a witness here this morning? <laughs> I'm still wanting to know what happened to the, to the pergola, and, and the, the carport. I'm, I'm still hanging out to find out. I mean, we've got four posts in the ground that stop cars from rolling down the hill. But, but apart from that, I want to know what else is going on. Dysfunctional means abnormal, difficult, or impaired. Do you know people like, don't, don't say anything, but you and I, we know people like that, right? And we certainly don't want to bring that into this gathering of God's house. And so, can I just say right from the outset of this message, I reckon the best time to talk about stuff like this is now. Is now. Not so that when it happens, we go, oh, we should have talked about that. I reckon we ought to talk about it now because these are things we want to keep out of our heart, keep out of our marriages, keep out of our families, keep out of our workplaces, and definitely, touch your neighbor and say he's talking to you. We definitely want to keep it out of our, out of our heart and out of our church. So here it is in Acts chapter 6 is where we're starting. Acts chapter 6 is on our next slide. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 through to verse 11. Stephen was full of faith and power. Someone said, that's good. That's good. That's a good place to be. He was full of faith, grace, and power, doing great wonders and signs among people. Say, so Someone say, that's very good. Now, who thinks that everyone should be happy with a man like that? You'd reckon that that'd be, I mean, the synagogue would be excited about having somebody who's got great grace, great faith, great power, great wisdom, signs and wonders among the people, you'd think everyone would be happy, right? What's wrong with us? What's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong with us. We are fundamentally dysfunctional. We are fundamentally broken as a species, and that's why Jesus came, to bring about our redemption. You'll never say yes to Jesus until you recognize how desperate you actually you are and how much you really need him. 
There were some who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen. They rose up and they disputed with Stephen. But I love this. Someone say they could not resist. I want that to be our story. Come on, I want that. I want people to be able to say that. I was a bit skeptical about organized religion, but there's something about that church destiny. There's something about those people there. They're a little crazy. They're a little kooky. There's so much variety. Like, they're, they're not cookie cutters. They've got dirt under their fingernails. They've got an array of life story and experiences. They come from different ethnic backgrounds. They come from different social stratas within society. But there's something about them that's magnetic, and I just couldn't resist it. Some of us looked like we couldn't resist what was happening on the Christmas table. But I reckon God wants to put out a banqueting table for us that we just can't resist. Listen to what it says. It says, they couldn't resist the wisdom with which he was speaking. I want that to be our story. I want our words to always be filled and laced with wisdom. Yeah? A story doesn't end well. If you know the story, it doesn't end well. Or does it? Or does it? I'll let you go and read that. Let's move on to point number one. These are traits that are part of a dysfunctional church. Number one is hypocrisy. Don't you just love that? The double-faced, the... I'm here like this in this environment, but in that environment, I'm somebody completely different. That, that, Jesus was really against that. Jesus was really against that. He kept on talking to people who were two-faced. You look like this in this environment, but in that environment, you look like that. Let's, let's decide that who we are on Sunday is who we are. That we're going to do our best to live up to the glorious ideal of God's glory resting on our life and flowing through our life to others. So that we are a life-giving being in a dark and dirty place. Can I get a witness here today? You know, if you've ever seen an arts theater or something like that, you would have seen two masks. One sad, one laughing. Ever seen that? that that's, the, that's the word hypocrisy right there that we get in our English language. Two faces. Two faces. Listen, the scripture says, Paul writing to the Roman believers, he said, whatever happens, make sure your love is sincere. It's bone deep. It's authentic. It's not two-faced. It's not on and off. It's constant. Someone say constant. That's what our love needs to be without hypocrisy. We're called to love our generation unconditionally. Husbands, you're called to love your wife unconditionally as Christ Love the church. And every man said. And every woman said. I like this preacher. <laughs> Suck it up, man. Love. That's what it's all about. That reveals who we are, right? We're not double-faced. Parents, love your children. Now, love is not the same as acceptance. I will unconditionally love you, but I will not unconditionally accept the choices that you make. If you self-harm, I'm not going to settle for that. If you move into a destructive lifestyle, I'm not going to say, that's okay. I'm going to say, no, 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 that's, that's harmful. Don't, don't, stay away from that. Does that make sense? But let's make sure that if there's anything that's double standard in our heart and our life, we go, God, I, I want to I deal with that today. I, I've come with a preaching message of repentance to the church. Is that all right? Because these are traits that turn people away from the gospel. They turn 
people away from church. You've heard it. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard this story, right? Of the guy that goes out of the church and the pastor finds the devil sitting in the gutter outside of his church and he's crying. And the pastor says, what's wrong with you, devil? He said, those people in there, they blame me for everything. But I didn't do it. I tell you what, it's more about us shooting ourselves in the foot than about the attacks and schemes of the devil. The church will be an attractive, irresistible place if we go, you know what, these things out. Lord, dislodge this. Pull this thing out of me. And I know it's going to be hurtful. I know that when it comes out, it's going to be painful. Have you had a tooth extraction? Someone just went like that. He's talking to you. It's painful, isn't it, when something has to come out? But God's got something better to replace it. Can I get a witness here? God never takes anything off you unless he's got something better to give you. Uh, Number two is gossip. Gossip destroys human relationships. If you've got something juicy to tell, shut up. If you've got some dirt on someone, take it into the closet of prayer. That's the place for it. Unburden your heart to the master. Stay off Facebook. Ditch Twitter. Take it to the master in prayer. He's the one that brings about change. I'm afraid that when I come to you, this is Paul writing to the early church. You'd think those guys were perfect, right? You'd think those guys so full of the anointing, so full of power, so full of the miraculous. And Paul writes like this and says, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, actually, to be a bit candid with you guys, I'm kind of nervous that next time I visit on my preaching tour, I'm kind of concerned because I think that I could find these things, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. I think about the closest we come to fits of rage is when we're trying to get into that communion emblem. I think, I think that's probably about the closest, the closest that we've got to in a while. So when's a good time to talk about this stuff? Before it manifests, right? Before it manifests. So amongst us, selfish ambition, slander, gossip. Someone say, Skippy. Showing your age there. Arrogance and disorder. These things don't belong in the church. If we adopt this, guess what? We become repulsive to the world. If we deal with this, guess what? We become irresistible. Number three, clicks. Oh, man. Who ever went to a Christian youth group and, <laughs> and tried, to find an, tried to find an inch of ground where you could fit in? Whoever, whoever did that? Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's, got, who's just blissfully, completely unaware, came to Jesus like in your 20s or 30s, go, what are you talking about? But for the rest of us mere mortals, we had, to, we had to battle our way through to find Jesus in the midst of imperfect teenagers. Come to Jesus, he's awesome. Yeah, but these followers are kind of, you know, iffy. Clicks. This is what the scripture says. Paul says, hey, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty or arrogant or proud or puffed up or superior. Hang out. Be comfortable hanging around with anybody and everybody. That's the counsel of God's word. And don't be full of yourself and your own importance, your own intelligence. Look how smart I am. Clicks are obnoxious and they are offensive and they make the world puke. The best thing you can do, one of the greatest ways you can help me close the altar call is when someone walks into this church, say, and you don't know them, say, have you got someone to sit with this morning? 
Have you got someone to sit with this morning? You know what you'll do? You'll open the altar call with your generosity of heart. Come and sit next to me. Come and sit next to me. The reason why people find their way into churches mostly is not because of the preacher, because they perceived there was genuine family and love within the congregation. Us preachers, we like to fool ourselves and think, that was me. It wasn't. It was Holy Spirit working through His people, and this is something we've got to guard ourselves against. Can I get a witness here today? Say no to clicks. Say no to clicks. Number four. Number four is boring. Boring. I think it should be an executable crime for a preacher to be boring. I think they ought to take him out and ought to just, just give him a, a joyful send-off. Boring. It ought, it ought to be a national crime to bore people in the name of Jesus. You know, wherever Jesus went, crowds followed him. Sometimes Jesus had to give the people a slip so he could get away for a few quiet days, right? There was nothing boring about Jesus. How do I know that? Because little kids wanted to be near Jesus. And little kids don't want to be around people who are boring, right? I reckon miracles are always quite entertaining. I like being around miracles. I like seeing the miraculous. I like seeing the power of God. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, like real serious Pentecostal, where weird stuff happened. Weird stuff happened in church. It was never boring. When I was a child falling asleep under the seats, I'd watch people get under the power of God and roll from one side of the building to the other and then roll back again. And they were talking about rock and roll in the world. We had the rock and we had the roll going on in our church. And I'd see a guy stand up and he'd quote scriptures that he'd never learned. He'd just quote them off, quote them off, quote them off. And I'd go home going, Dad, what was all that about? He goes, I don't know, but I caught the third scripture. Weird, amazing, astonishing things. And the power of God is present. It's never boring. It's never boring. That's what we want as a church. Not to be irrelevant, not to be boring, not to waste people's time. It's okay to have fun in church. We're the kind that puts fun back into fundamentalism. That's what we're about. Boring. The crowds followed Jesus and the miraculous was common. Uh, here's another one, number five. Powerless. Powerless. There are people who have a form of godliness. They look pious, but there's no spiritual dimension. There's no, there's no fire. There's no glory. There's no anointing. They go through the motions. I, I would rather close down the church than go to a church where we just went through the motions. If any word would trouble me to have written on the name of our, side of our church would be the name, the word Ichabod. The glory of God doesn't reside here. I don't want that. I, I want to be part of a church where the glory and the manifest presence of God and the supernatural are regular occurrences. I'm looking for someone to give me a witness here this morning. Hey, if you are a custodian of a miracle, if God's ever answered a prayer for you, even if it's a small one, just give me a wave. God's worked miracles in our church. We are custodians of that knowledge and that narrative and that story. And let's not stop talking about that just because it's been a while since we've seen one. If I'd only ever seen one miracle in my life, it'd be enough for me to keep on praying and believing for more miracles. 
Because our God is a miracle working God. What troubles me about some people is that they will elevate the power of darkness and say, oh, the devil's bad and he's strong and he's mighty and witchcraft's powerful. And they will diminish the authority of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. I've seen demons scream out and say, don't say that name to me again. I love the name of Jesus. I love the blood of Jesus Christ. I love the person of Holy Spirit, his gifts and his functions and his anointing. I love it. I'm filled to my back teeth because even they're full. I love Holy Spirit. I love the power of God. And we want to create more opportunity in our heart. Do you know what? There are some churches that are built on the idea that this is where the glory happens. But I'm going to tell you that that's not Jesus' model. Most of Jesus' miracles do not happen in the context of a building structure. They happen in the context of Him going somewhere, doing something, and just ministering. You've got the glory of God in your life. Step out in faith. Pray and believe. Come back together Sunday by Sunday for more encouragement and to give a good report of miracles that God is doing. In 1 Corinthians it says, chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a demonstration of power. It's a demonstration of power. Now, I'm going to start preaching if I go off topic and we haven't got time for that this morning. Number six is being judgmental. Now, this is a difficult one. Do you, want to know, do you want to know what the most famous verse in the whole Bible is? It's not John 3.16. It used to be, but it's not. It's, it's this one, the next one. This is from the Message Translation, but, but you'll know it. It says, judge not lest ye be judged. That's what's being bantied around today as the Word of God, the only Word of God. Just don't judge anything. Just don't judge anybody. But if you look at what's actually happening in the context of the Scripture, Jesus is teaching about people who are pharisaical. They are hypocritical. They are looking down their nose at other people without trying to do anything to relieve their sorrow or their suffering. They are judge, jury, and executioner. That's what's being spoken about here. But I love the way it's rendered in the message translation. Can I read it to you? Listen to what it says. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Who's glad for grace? All you perfect people, we celebrate you. But for the rest of us common folk, we need grace in our life. We need grace. We need to be treated with grace. We need to treat other people with grace because we're all sinners saved by grace and being redeemed into the perfection of Jesus Christ. Don't criticize their faults unless, of course, you want to be treated the same way. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see the smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own face. You have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted with contempt. Contempt. It's this whole traveling show mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe the ugly sneer off your own face. See, we're talking today about the traits of an unhealthy, a dysfunctional church, dealing with things that we've got to deal with in our own life. I'm better than you. This comparing ourselves to somebody else is an absolutely wicked trap. It's unhealthy. It's unproductive. It's counter the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if you want to find Jesus, you'll often find him sitting in the dirt beside sinners, defending them against those who would throw stones. That's the spirit of your Savior. That's the Christ we emulate and we seek to follow and represent 
in our world. Don't be judgmental. Carry, pick up and carry somebody else's cross with them for a while. It'll put compassion in your heart and it'll put power in your hands. Then after you've wiped the sneer off your own face, you might be able to offer a washcloth to somebody else. Uh, I'll teach more about this particular point in another, another session, but let's move on. Uh, here we go. Number six, number seven is negative. I like this scripture. Psalm chapter one is one of my favorite verses, my favorite Psalms in all the Bible. One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible says, blessed is the man. Someone say blessed. Do you want to be blessed? Well, here's some advice for you. Here's some advice for you. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. See where you start? You start walking. Progress. Someone say progress. Then look what happens. Stand. That's stationary in the path of sinners. Nor sits. Now I'm getting comfortable with the scornful and the cynic. You know, it's amazing when you're wounded, how somebody else's wound feels like a nourishment to you. I remember one time I went to my, our marriage mentor, Pastor Ross Taylor. I sat with him and said, Pastor Ross, I want to tell you about a man that's hurt me. And I knew that the same man had hurt my friend, Pastor Ross. And you know what I was expecting? My flesh was expecting him to go, oh man, I've been there. I've been hurt by that guy. He's, he's not a pastor. He's not a Christian. He's not a real Christian. I was expecting that. My flesh wanted to be patted and stroked. That's what my flesh wanted. But that man of God, he looked me in the eye and says, how long did it take you to get over your last wound? <laughs> Hang on. Let's find the reverse gear here. Let's just back this truck up for a minute. I came here so you could pat my pity. But he spoke truth to me in love. And in that moment, I was delivered from my own self focused disposition of heart. You hear me? Look what it says. It says, don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. Don't let negativity and cynicism. If you haven't been hurt in a church yet, just wait a while. Just wait a while. I so loved, I, I, re, I rewound it, Luca. I rewound the tape and I listened to him say us and, and, and on Sunday the 1st. He said, you know, as we get closer together, which is God's glorious ideal, we're going to bump into each other and we're going to need grace to treat each other well. And I thought, man, that is such a gracious way to put what happens when community comes together. The closer we get, the more bumps there are. He says little cars on the racetrack and they're zipping around on the dirt track and they're bumping and crashing into each other. And some of us think, that's about like how it is in Christian life, bumping into each other. But I remember my pastor in, in Sydney, she said, she said, I want you to be fat, fluffy sheep, full of wool, so that when you bump into each other, there'll be a little bounce. I'm thinking, that's a great image, and I don't like you. That's a great image, and I don't like you. I was barely saved back then. I'm not much better now. Negative. Don't, don't let that become your portion. Drink from another well. Can I get a witness here today? Finally, number eight. You want one more? Here it is. Number eight is disunity. These things are repulsive and repugnant to a world we're trying to witness to. Guard our heart against these things. Fight for unity. Fight for peace. Fight for harmony. Sacrifice self within marriage. Sacrifice self within family. Serve each other. Take on the garment of a servant and, 
and dress yourself. Dress your attitude. It says, how can I serve? How can I be involved in making things easier and better for you? Disunity. The Lord hates these things. Someone say, ouch. I don't want to be in this list. I don't want you to be in this list. I don't, God says that he resists the proud. He resists the proud. But he gives grace. He gives enabling. He gives strength to the meek, to the humble. It says that he hates those who cause discord, that sows discord and creates disunity. You know that in Psalm 133, the Bible says that where there is unity, God suggests a blessing. He thinks it's a good idea. Where there's unity, guess what? God commands. He declares. If a command of God put the universe into spin, just think what God's command could bring to your life. Could bring to your life. Our worship team are coming back. We're closing our service. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers, keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. Guard ourselves from anything that looks like this in our marriages, in our families, in our communities that we're a part of. It's definitely within the, within the construct of our Christian gathering, our Christian family here. Go, I don't want that. I don't want that. Lord, I want you to take what needs to happen out of my heart and of my life so that I don't become a person who's repulsive. I'm more a person who's attractive so that I be like Jesus. Can I get a witness here today? Well, as is becoming our custom, I'd like you to look at your notes. Go back over these eight things and say, Holy Spirit, which one of these are you talking to me about personally? Because it'd be an absolute waste of a morning for you to go home from this service and not go, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to change within me? We Christians have got to get used to the idea of repentance and change. Living a repentant life going, God, that is not pleasing to you. I want to get rid of that. I want to surrender that to you. I want to be whole. I want to be healed. I want to be part of what you are building. Someone say building. Because God is building His church and it's, a, and it's an irresistible church. Abba Father, thank You that You've got such tender hands to place them upon our heart and our life and to address that which is actually counterproductive within our life. We know that we only prosper as our soul prospers. That's personal, Lord. So I'm praying over this house and over these families here today that tremendous peace, the shalom of God, that unifying, beautifying presence would just so settle upon our lives that we as a church would so contend for harmony and for peace and for beauty that is a congregation of God's people fitted together, assembled together, constructed by the hands of God, living stones, radiating and beaming the glory, beauty, and life of our Savior. Lord, this is my prayer. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today, you've never said yes to Jesus. And you won't realize how much you need Him until you realize how lost you are. You can see it in the world. You can see the brokenness and dysfunction in the world. But if 
God today would grant you the gift of repentance. And if you'd let humility settle in your heart and say, yes, I actually need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you today. Maybe you're doing it in your own lounge room. I don't know where you are. But this morning, I don't want to close this service without giving every single person a chance to make their peace with God. It starts with a decision. It proceeds to confession. It matures through fellowship. If that's you today, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. I'll be here at the end of the service. I'd love the chance just to speak with you and pray with you. Help you on the journey. Mighty God. Hey, Ryan. I know you're a stranger to this church. When you walked up our driveway today, I saw the anointing and glory of God on you. And I'm thinking, I know that guy. But it wasn't just a physical knowing. My spirit recognized something on your life. I I don't want to embarrass you in any way. In any way. But is there a God-given dream in your heart? Then this is the word. The word is permission. You've got permission to pursue it. You've got the green light. You've got the yes. I don't know what's going on. We didn't talk about it. I don't know. I know so, so our family knows. Met you at the men's muster. I've met you out at Mount Isa a couple of times. I don't know what's happening. I don't know the story. But I know Holy Spirit is saying it's yes. Permission. Permission. It's yours. Family, God bless you. Please join us uh, today for tea and coffee in the foyer. Hang out, catch up, make some new friends. Apart from that, go in peace. And be blessed. Our leaders' lunch will start in about an hour and 15, hour and 20, something like that. Have a wonderful week. Go in God's love and be blessed. Thank you.